Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exists to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Heartbeat. It's crazy how something so simple can signal the beginning and the end of life. Love, give, go. This is the heartbeat of our church. Together as a church, we are called to show unconditional love to the people around us. We are called to welcome everyone with open arms, just as the Father welcomes the Son. Together as a church, we are called to be irrationally generous. We search for and give every last thing we can, just as the Father gives the feast to welcome the Son. Together as a church, we are called to an unwavering mission. We are forever searching for the lost to bring home. Together as a church, we are called to have a heart beating for His kingdom to reign. Everyone needs a healthy heartbeat in order to have a healthy life. So, why does your heart beat? It's easy to uh, read the news, watch the news, whatever you do, and to see how jacked up our world is. In fact, I think fast, it probably doesn't take long, too many headlines before you're like, what in the world? And, and if you're not careful, you're going to think the rest of the world has problems and you don't. <laughs> uh, at least that's what I've, a lot of times we, we read about how bad things are going elsewhere. And we forget that maybe, maybe there's some things that we need to do ourselves. And so we as a church have been talking about what does a healthy heartbeat look like, sound like. Now, I'm not playing your doctor at all. Uh, but I do want to play the role of your pastor. And I'm talking about your spiritual heart, the heart that can get broken, the heart that can get jaded, the heart that maybe you can sometimes, as we say, offer someone else, the heart that can get hardened, that heart. And here's what I'm watching. My observation, so just follow me on this, my opinion, is that when you have an unhealthy heartbeat, spiritually speaking, that your vision of the future, your understanding of life, gets pretty small and depressing very quickly. In fact, I, I am seeing people unable to dream nowadays. I'm not talking about having sleeping problems. I'm talking about dreaming about the future, dreaming about what their family can actually do in life, dreaming about what they can accomplish through a vocation or, or anything in life. I'm seeing people, that the dreams are getting smaller. My kids, when I talk to my kids, they have big dreams. My daughter currently wants to raise unicorns, and I don't have the heart to tell her yet that that may not be an option. But I love the dreams, right? You remember? Some of you don't remember when you were a kid. When you dreamt, when you, when you thought about it, they weren't realistic. Some of us thought we were going to be, or at least I did, a professional athlete. That did not play out. Some of us had aspirations of being a, a teacher or, or a police officer or whatever, and, and it just didn't play out. 
I'll tell you, some of us as adults, we don't dream like we used to. And if you're thinking, well, it's an age thing, David. <laughs> when you get older, you get more realistic. I disagree. I believe God still gives people dreams about the future, a vision for the future. So I did some research. I'm like, I wonder why we don't dream anymore. Well, I can show you based on research what's playing out. Here's the top three reasons. Uh, we feel inadequate. Where the idea of accomplishing what we hope to accomplish, we're like, I, I, I can't do that. Someone, someone may have told you, you you can't, but you just feel like, yeah, I, I, am, I am not capable of doing that. We're undisciplined. It's like, no, I used to dream, and then I learned what you have to do. Uh, some of us who thought about like, doing great things, and you're like, well, then if, if you want to do that, then you've got to be a doctor. Uh, there's this thing called school for a long time. And you're going to have to study and study and study. And you're like, I don't have that kind of discipline. So the dream went away. We've been hurt. I might say this might be the top one. A lot of us don't dream anymore because our hearts have been wounded so much. We've been hurt so badly by people we care about. Like, what's the point in dreaming? Now, that doesn't change something very profound that the Bible tells us about dreaming and life in general. Let me show this to you. John 10, 10, the thief comes, only to still kill and destroy. Have you ever wondered? Just observation. That could be talking about the dreams God gave you. I mean, a lot of times we think, yeah, he took this. Uh, no, dreams, maybe. I have come, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full? Come on. That's people with like big dreams and visions for life. Like some people are like, I'm, I'm going to have a family. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to have an impact on the world. We're going to resolve that problem. And then it dissipates. And I would tell you, God has great things to accomplish through you. Some of you are like, well, you don't know me. Well, that that's not the point. God made you. He has great things to do through you. So let me tell you about your heart. It says in the Bible how big of a deal this is. Uh, above all else, guard your heart. Some of us thought, oh, that's for dating. It's not exclusively for dating. <laughs> then you're like, guard your heart. Don't, don't let them get too close. Now, why would the Bible tell us to guard our heart? I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart that if you don't guard it, you're in danger of not doing the great things, being a part of the great things God had in store. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If you're not translating uh, how good of a spouse you will be uh, has everything to do with your heart. How good of a parent you will be or are uh, has everything to do with your heart. How good of a student, friend, any kind of uh, just person in general, your heart. So that led me to this series, and it led me to a prayer that I've been praying for you, our whole church. It's from Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. I've got to tell you, I really want a clean heart. I don't know if you do. I hope that you do. But I want my heart to stay pure. I want my heart to long for the things it should long for and to deny the things I should deny. I want my heart to be all about what God designed my heart to be. So to do so, my heart needs to be clean. Just like your doctor's going to tell you someday, hey, <clears throat> 
cut the donuts out. And you're going to have a big choice. Which kind of donuts are you going to cut out? (laughs) Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. And God, I need you to do this. I need you to help me do this. Create in me a clean heart. I believe wholeheartedly that if we become a church with clean hearts, not where we're all professionals at something or we're overachievers at stuff, but if we have clean hearts, do you understand what could happen in our city, in our region, in our world if we just had clean hearts, if we love what we should love and denied what we should deny? And so Jesus gives us a story in case you want to know, so uh, what's the prescription, doctor? How do we get clean hearts? Uh, cut the red meat out? Like what would it, no, no, Jesus gave us a story that unfolds how to have a clean heart. It's a powerful story. I started it last week. If you don't know about it, it's the story of the, the lost son. Jesus is all of a sudden teaching and he's telling a story. It's a whole, in fact, in your Bible, a whole chapter on lost stuff. Then he gets to this lost son. The son goes to his dad and says, hey, dad, I want my inheritance. I would like it right now. The dad grants his request. says, all right, here's your inheritance. The son does not invest it. <laughs> he does not save it. The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, the story goes on where he goes and he spends every bit of his inheritance. Wastes it completely on wild living, as the Bible says. He finds himself starving. <clears throat> homeless, nothing. He's got nothing. In fact, there's even a, a detail Jesus put in there that he was, he was looking at what the pigs were eating and was like, mmm, sounds yummy. He finds himself going, I've got only one place to go. I've got to go home, but it can no longer be home. It can't be to my parents. It can't be to my family. In fact, I'm going to go back to what I used to call home, and it's now going to be where I go to work. He decides he's going to return, but he's going to call dad master. He's going to be a slave. Jesus is telling the story, and you got to go, so why are you telling this story? Well, I can show you the first thing we learned. Let me show you the verses, and, and this will help. Uh, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I talked about last week, that's unconditional love. If you want a healthy heart, you've got to have unconditional love. Anyone and everyone actually has to matter to you unconditionally. Now, if you are a movie watcher, like this is epic. You're expecting now, oh, this is the father just kind of like prancing. I don't know how to say it. Like, like running and, and then there's this embrace and, and the relationship is restored. The, the son's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I love you, son. And Okay, I just have a weird imagination. Okay, this is what's going on. Then all of a sudden, the music is cued. The credits roll. And you're like, that was an awesome, awesome movie. Here's the problem. All of us have had someone tell us something that later played out to not be true. We've had, to be more specific, someone indicate that they care about us, but then their behavior didn't seem to demonstrate that. I'm not making you raise your hands, because we all would. We would all have this moment where it's like, what? And it may have broken your heart. Just an observation, a healthy heart requires more than a hug. I mean, the dad gave the hug, I mean, that was awesome. That's, that's love. 
But just, just think just inquisitively in your own head. Have you ever had someone say, hey, I love you, but later on, like, I don't think that they did. We often have this thing in our lives where we'll say stuff, good intentions, not being evil, but saying, you say something, but then you don't back it up. It happens to all of us, and we have a tendency to do it ourselves, too. A healthy heart. You do not get to this pure heart, clean heart, just going, oh, I got this. Pastor David said, we're supposed to hug everybody. Please don't do that. <laughs> that is not the essence of health. A healthy heart requires more than a hug. Do you know why? Because oftentimes when people say things, it leaves too much room for doubt. So something else must occur. I'll show it to you in the story. Jesus told it. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now, if you, if you don't understand this, let me explain this because this is a big deal. The son comes home expecting to be servant. No longer a part of the family. He would truly lose the last name. But the dad's response is, I love you, gives him a hug, and then to seal the deal, says, get him the best robe and put it on him. Do you know who would have owned the best robe, dad? And if you don't know Jewish culture, on the bottom of that robe would have been tassels that would have been signifying, would have signified who the family was. They would have said, almost like a family seal. So he's saying, son, you are my son. You are a part of this family. Put a ring on his finger also, a way to seal letters. Would have shown the, the seal of the family. And sandals on his feet, bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now, I know a lot of us are like, oh, party time. That sounds awesome, right? And by the way, this shows Jesus was not a vegetarian. <laughs> now, for those of you who are new to the church, I'm being sarcastic. I can't prove that. But, but I don't know if you've wondered this. So not only does the dad... Say with a hug, right? I love you. He locks it in. There's this moment of generosity, even to the point that a meal is prepared. Now, if you don't know why a meal was prepared, Jewish culture teaches us something. If you wanted to reconcile and restore a relationship, what you would do is you would make a meal. And the two parties that were at odds with each other would sit and talk and restore the relationship. So dad's like, you get the family name, the family symbol, and I'm gonna show everyone that we are on the same page you're forgiven. Just like last week, I talked to you about unconditional love. I could sum that up in two words, irrational generosity. Very irrational. I mean, some of us are like, you know what? I don't know if the father should have done that. It seems like he's enabling a behavior, and I'm not sure that he should have done that. I mean, did, did he make sure that the son knew what he did was wrong? And, and is the son going to utilize that robe? I mean, is he going to wash it when it needs to be washed? I mean, is he going to do what he needs to do with it? And, you know, that's how a lot of us think. We're like, we're probably, how are you going to manage this? What are you going to do with this? No, the irrational part is he's like, hey, we're not even having a long conversation here. Here you go. Everything you need to belong to this family. Irrational generosity. Make an observation about love. Uh, love alone could not make a relationship work. Now, I know the Beatles said all we need is love. 
and, 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 and I know they're good. Okay, I, I get that. But when you call love the idea of, of saying you love someone or even feeling the feelings you feel when you would say, I love that person. Love by itself as a feeling or a desire or even as words. That alone cannot make a relationship work. Now, I think we all believe that, but we all don't behave that. You ever thought about the son? What if dad had just said, here's a, hu here's a hug. I love you. Here's what I would tell you based on experience and conversations with other people. The son would have constantly lived in shame and insecurity. He would have wondered, I mean, I know my dad gave me a hug, but... Like, are we cool with each other? Is, where do I stand? I mean, I know he said it, but did he mean it? That's why a lot of us who listen to this, I can tell you a little bit about your own life. If you've had people tell you they love you, but they didn't show it up, an insecurity begins to grow. I believe this story teaches us unconditional love requires irrational generosity. In fact, love can be faked. You can speak love. You can mean love in a moment. Do you remember middle school? You weren't being mean. I mean, you, you weren't being like, oh, I love you, but I don't really. No, I love you. I'm in love. And, but then it just changes. And I would tell you, a relationship without generosity without giving, sacrifice, I'd call that a, a shallow relationship. I mean, can you imagine uh, just if I, Katie, my wife, hey, honey, I love you. And she's like, that's awesome. Do you want to spend time together? No, but I love you. I love you. Hey, wh what about going on a date this weekend? I don't have time, but I love you. How about, how about in parenting? Your kids say, hey, you want to go ride bikes outside? Ah, no, but I love you. And then the next day comes, hey, you want to you, you go for a walk? No, no, I don't have time, but I love you kids. I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. See, many of us do this, don't we? We have shallow relationships because we speak love, we intend love, but we don't give. We do not offer sacrifice and generosity. And a healthy heart doesn't just say everyone matters. A healthy heart says, and I'm going to do something. In fact, God. God doesn't just say, do this, because this is what I want you to do. God showed us this. John 3, 16, perhaps the most popular verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world. I mean, sometimes you, you can talk to an atheist who knows this verse. For God so loved the world. That's amazing. God loves, God loves you and I. God loves us so much. And then we keep reading, for God so loved the world that he gave. Now, if you've, if you've grown up in church, you're like, you didn't, you didn't finish. There's more. And you're waiting for me to get to more. I'm not going to show you more. Because I think oftentimes we get so caught up in what was given, we forget that God gave. And yes, he gave us his one and only son as the perfect sacrifice for us to have our sins forgiven. And it is amazing. 
but do not read over the fact that God loved you and I so much that he gave. He didn't just speak it or intend it. God's love for us compelled him to give to us. So, as I have come to, in a weird way, enjoy offending people, I thought I'd do that right now. Let's have a heart check. What has your love for God compelled you to give? Now, I honestly do not mean to offend you, but this messes with me. What has your love for God compelled you to give to God? Now, I know some, there's skeptics. Oh, I knew it. I'll come to church, and they're all about money, and that's what he's about to do is talk about money. And that's, I just knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. And we often get offended when a church talks about giving to God. Well, let's walk this out. What if I change this? What has your love for your spouse compelled you to give to your spouse? All of a sudden, we're not offended. We're like, that's a good question there. What has your love for your children compelled you to give to your children? You're like, mm, that's good. What is your love for God compelled you to give to God? Now, some of you are like, <coughs> excuse me, David, uh, God does not need anything, so we don't need to give God anything. So what you're telling me is, is that you buy everybody underwear and socks because it's just all about what they need. I, mean, I, I don't know if you grew up having your parents or anybody give you that for Christmas. And you're like, are you kidding me? Socks. And then my mom would say, well, you needed them. I'm like, I don't care what I need. That's for other times of the year. Do you understand the idea of saying, I don't give to God because he doesn't need it. You and I don't give to our children everything they need. I mean, come on, I give them toys and they break it within an hour. And you're like, what in the world? We, we give people stupid presents. We even now have parties based on the stupid present. See, what I would tell you is when you have gratitude for someone, when you have gratitude for someone, when you love someone and you are, you are so grateful for them, you are compelled to give to them whether they need what you're giving them or not. Some of you, you hate to give gifts. That, I hope you didn't need this. I know you wouldn't buy it for yourself. It's fascinating that for all other relationships, like give whatever you want, but to God, well, he doesn't need it, so we don't give him anything. I would say there is a lack of gratitude there. Brene Brown said something, came across it accidentally, but it messed with me. We're a nation hungry for more joy because we're starving from a lack of gratitude. I would agree with this. I think she makes a great point that many of us, remember that dreaming, like how we, we've lost our dreams and, and we wake up and we're like, another day. Some of us struggle having any kind of joy in life, and I would say maybe the problem is gratitude. I don't think we're good at it anymore. I mean, it's an easy world just to want more and more and more and more. At least that's me. I, I, it's easy to find something else that you want, and then gratitude starts to be difficult to hold on to. If you don't know the danger of gratitude, a gratitude problem uh, leads to a greed problem. Uh, just just this, this word, I know it's an ugly word, and we're like, 
oh my. But, but just, if you, if you, I'm just, we're just tracking. This is a rational conversation. A gratitude problem creates a greed problem. If you can't be grateful for what you have, doesn't it sound like what we teach our kids? If you can't be grateful for what you have, you can't have nothing at all. But, but I would tell you as adults when we grow up, it creates this greed problem. If we can't be grateful for just the simplicities of life, then we're just going to crave more and more and more. And this greed, this greed is going to enter our hearts and we're going to be desperate to cry out for a clean heart. Maybe, maybe greed has lost its ugliness to you. Uh, I'll nerd you out on some Greek. <laughs> Your New Testament was written in Greek. This word, epithemeo, this word, epithemea, oa, only difference, for two very dangerous words. When I saw this, I was blown away how greed and lust, in essence, come from the same family. I'm going to tell you, if you can't figure out how to give, how to be generous, your heart is in danger. I'll give, you, I'll give you a real life example here on planet Earth. It's called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the lowest body of water on the planet. Uh, this is a picture of the Dead Sea. Now, it looks like it snowed. It did not snow. That is salt. There is so much salt in the Dead Sea that as it goes over the rocks, that happens. Uh, I've been to the Dead Sea a couple times. The Dead Sea is really cool to look at and really gross to get into. It's 34% salt. And the name Dead Sea, uh, it's obvious. Nothing can live in it. Nothing could live in it at all. There's no fishing, no good fishing. And, and in fact, when you go into the Dead Sea and you get out, you just, it's gross. Now, now someone's like, oh, I know how to fix this, David, no problem. If it just were, would have rained, the rain would come down and, and dissipate the salt content. No, it, it rains, and that doesn't do that. Well, what about pumping water, uh, maybe from the Red Sea, and like, let's, let's get water in there. That'll fix the problem. That won't fix the problem. You don't have to be a theologian, a pastor. To, I, tell you, I can tell you why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea. It's been proven fact. It's because the Dead Sea does not flow out. Just like we know in good old South Dakota, uh, you can drink water if the water's running. But if it's not, mm, I would not scoop that up. Those of you who like to hike, one, I don't understand you, but let's go too. You're not going to be like, mm, stagnant water, yummy. <laughs> right? Well, here's the problem. That stagnant water for some of us is an example of our current heart. If you want to know why joy is a struggle, why happiness is a struggle, because maybe your heart is unhealthy, and I'll give you the grim news, greed creates spiritual heart attacks. I have met many people who on the outside come across as angry, bitter, completely broken in the worst sense. And as they tell their story, it's because at some moment they stopped giving to others and to God. Greed, they wouldn't call it greed, but greed took over. 
And I wondered in this, is like, I wonder why we get greedy. And I can tell you again the three examples that I've seen. The lack of discipline. We get greedy because, frankly, we just don't manage our time well. And so because we don't manage our time or our money well, we're like, I don't have any. So out of a lack of discipline, because the majority of people don't budget uh, money or time, uh, they're like, I don't have any, so I can't give any. So one day when I get rich or, or win the lottery, that's, that's when I'm going to be generous. It's lack of discipline. Lack of humility. Maybe it's like, nope, uh, the reason I don't give time to other people or money, because uh, I don't want to. It's mine. It's just a lack of humility. It's a lack of taking care of other people, thinking about other people and God. But I think the biggest one is this last one. It's a lack of memory. It's forgetting that God supplied anything and everything you've ever had. There is verse after verse, example after example, all throughout the Bible that God owns everything. He provides everything. And when you forget that, you're in danger of greed. Now, don't forget why we're having this conversation. I'll take you back to the prayer. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. If you want a clean heart, I know the, the, the popular sermon in the series is love. You're like, oh, we just need love. But if you don't want to be a person that just says stuff, you need to know that love requires generosity. So I can show you what the Bible says on how to have a clean heart, what, what God's going to start to want to have happen in your heart and in your life. Here's the first one. Remember what God has done. If you want to start, like, like I, don't, I don't want greed to be a part of my life or pass on to my kids or, or be a part of how I run a business, uh, remember what God has done. I'll show you this in the Bible. This is in Deuteronomy. Be careful, for, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Now just stop. Be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. Okay? Failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, if you forget God, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It is a very powerful lesson to learn that if you choose to forget or deny that God provides all, your heart is in danger. A lot of times we think, well, it's other. No, your heart is in danger. So that's why we gather a lot like this as a church. We talk a lot about all that God has done. He's absolutely amazing. And you've got to remember that. You've got to put that in front of you. That's why, actually, in this same book, it talks about, okay, you've got to put this on your walls. You've got to put it everywhere you can. Remind yourself that God is good. He provided all of this. He saved us. He is amazing. You've got to remind yourself. And many of us have started to think that we are our providers. It's God. So once you decide, you know what, I want a healthy heart, I want a clean heart, I'm going to remember what God's done for me, now what do I do? I'm glad you asked. Begin with where you are and what you have. Because some of us, like, I'm gonna, I, I remember God's taking care of me. So one day, 
I'm going to start being generous. As soon as, when this happens, when I retire, when I this, that, and we begin to think it's, it's later. It's, it's the next month. It's the next year. It's the next decade. And we start to think, okay, that's when I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a plan for when I'm going to be generous. Now, I want my kids to grow up to be generous adults. So we teach them when they're young the power of generosity. It's actually not fully for anyone else. I want their hearts to stay pure. Begin where you are with what you have. God never asks you for anything you don't have. Let me show you what a letter was written to the church early on. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, so bad times, their overflowing joy, ooh, they had joy, which means they had gratitude. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up, how? In rich generosity. For I tell you that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, beyond their ability, uh, more than their budgets said they could. <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about offending some people. This will be the last time I see some of you. If you don't understand what this is saying, the, the amount isn't the issue. It's the sacrifice. God never intended giving to have the focus of the amount. It was all about the sacrifice, oftentimes inconveniencing yourself, changing your lifestyle so that others and God could have your generosity. Uh, there's a recent example that just, it just moved me. It was pretty incredible. Uh, for those of you who remember, uh, not long ago, a hurricane hit Houston. I mean, it was all over uh, the globe news. Uh, there's a bakery in Houston that's pretty well-known and, and popular. And when the storm was coming, the same thing happened there that happens in South Dakota when a blizzard's coming. Everyone goes to the grocery stores and buys all of the bread and milk. It's all gone. So the same thing happened. Hurricanes come in in Houston. I mean, they, they clear out. The storm's coming, and, and they're able to even sell out of all their bread. Most of the employees get home to their families, safe and sound, everything, except four of the bakers got trapped. They waited too long, <laughs> And they couldn't leave the bakery because the storm was too intense. So it looked like they were having an all-nighter at the bakery. I'm sure it was a joy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you've ever been in a bad situation. My guess is you have. Oftentimes in a bad situation, all we want is to get out of it. And so these bakers who are like probably would love to be in their own beds or at least in their own homes with their families, they're stuck at work. You can get scared. You have the different options you can pursue. Well, the story goes this way. The reason I tell you is they decided to make something of it, literally. So like, well, here's what we know is this storm is ravaging our city. There's going to be people in great need as soon as this storm goes away. And <laughs> we've got flour. So they started baking and baking and baking and baking some more. 4,000, in fact, I think it was 4,400 pounds of flour. They baked and baked and baked and put bread on racks. They probably filled everything. They replenished everything. 
There's time. Now, now here's what they could have done. Just think about this. They could have made enough bread just for themselves to get them through the storm, right? That would have seemed rational. No one would have hated on them. Like, yes, good idea. Or they could have just sat there and done nothing and waited. But what they decided to do was to bake. Now, some of you are already thinking, you're skeptical. You're like, oh, yeah, to replenish everything so when the storm's done, people can come and they can buy bread there. They're going to make bank on this. No, that's not what they did. They packaged the bread up. And as soon as the storm let up, they went to as many shelters as possible and gave them bread and gave them everything and gave it all away. Here's the observation. A person who is willing, key in on the word willing, (laughs) a person who is willing to give resources is a person able to give hope. And uh, I'm currently in my last year of my 30s. I'm still afraid to say I'm going to turn 40. So I've been kind of introspective lately. Some people think I'm depressed. No, I'm just thinking. What have I done with my life from zero to 40? And one observation I've learned is this. Willingness is a big deal. We all run into people who are unwilling, right? Unwilling to forgive, unwilling to help, unwilling to give, unwilling to support, unwilling to be involved, unwilling to have a conversation. And then there's a whole other crew, people who are willing. The friend that you call to help you move. The family members who will always be by your side. The church who is willing to walk with anyone. What I have learned is this, is if you want to give hope, to be able to give hope, you must be willing to give. Psalm 51, in case you wonder if I just turned the sermon, I didn't. (laughs) Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. If you want a clean heart, I can tell you step number one. But you may not like it. Give to God. If you want a clean heart, it starts with giving to God. Not, Not even giving to others, giving to God. Because what God can do with what we give him, he can multiply it. He can do miracles with it. And it will clean your heart. Give to God. Now, like I said, I joke about it. It's partially true. That I know some of you, uh, this is the last sermon of mine you'll ever hear. And I know that sometimes we get so offended when a church talks about giving, but I hope that you hear the heart of this. I want your heart clean. And so wherever you go, whatever you do with the rest of your life, may you contemplate and process and wrestle down. Are you willing to be generous to God? It's not about what he needs. He doesn't need your money, frankly. Um, He's doing well. But if you want a healthy heart, you got to stop being offended by the conversation and start figuring out how are you going to give to God. So here's what's going to happen. There's a card that you're going to be given when you leave. It's a heartbeat card. 
on this side, it says, I will commit to giving back to God by dot, dot, dot. I'm not going to pressure you in any way. When you leave, you'll get this card, and you can fill it out however you want, and you will keep the card. It's for you. But here in a moment, here in a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you, pray for myself, pray for us all, that we would be willing to give to God. And then when I say amen, I'm going to leave us in a moment of reflection. Where some of you, for the first time ever, you will decide, I'm going to start giving to God. And you could even do it on your phone right there. Some of you are like, no, I can't do that. I don't have that option right now. And you're just going to think about later how you're going to plan to do this. But I want you processing because I want your hearts clean. We need to be a church with clean hearts. We need to be people with clean hearts. So when you leave, you will get one of these. But when it's handed to you, I want you to already know what you're going to do. So let me pray with you. God, I want to tell you that we as a church are incredibly grateful for your love. And we are incredibly grateful for your generosity. God, I want to thank you for sending your one and only son to die for us, to save us from ourselves. God, thank you for that. Thank you for mercy and grace. Thank you for intervening in all of our lives and giving us chance after chance after chance. God, you're so good. We do not deserve that. And I thank you for that. God, as you know, there are needs throughout our community and our state and our nation and our world. God, would you please cleanse our hearts and help us be willing to be generous with our time and our treasure. God, I pray that you would move us to be a group of people that are not just known for how we welcome people. God, would you prompt us to be a group of people that gives and is generous. Take these next few moments, God, as an act of worship. We're going to decide what we're going to give to you. Help us with that. We surrender this moment to you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.